0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. It's our last show of
1: 2019 here on The John Girardi Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Just a programming note, you may be wondering, hey, there! this isn't the last day of 2019. What are you talking about? It's just Friday the 27th. I will be out for about a week and a half. I'm going to be out uh, visiting with my wife's family out in Minnesota, and we're going to be gone until January 7th. So The John Girardi Show will take a bit of a hiatus. We will go back to... Two hours of the Joe Pags show here on Power Talk. Uh, he usually runs from seven to eight, and he'll run from the full six to eight uh, during the time when I am out. So you'll have Joe Pags for about a week and a half. But then, never fear, I will be back. I am back. I'm, I'm contractually, I'm all signed up. The John Girardi show is not going away. I'm just going on vacation, and Joe Pags is basically my fill-in host. So uh, for those of you who are die-hard fans of the show, we will be back on January. 8th, to give you all the goodness that this show provides on a regular basis. All right. Well, for my last show of 2019, wasn't exactly sure what to talk about. This is sort of the post-Christmas news lull. No one's really doing much politically, either in Sacramento or in Washington, D.C. So I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive on something I touched on once or twice, in the last week or so about judges and what president Trump has done to the federal courts. And to do that, I have a really great article written by a real whacked out lefty. Um, his name is Ian Milheiser. Ian Milheiser is a, an extremely left wing author who, um, is he's also an attorney, and he writes for Vox. He's Vox, which is this very left-wing outlet. Um, he's basically their legal news editor. And he wrote this big, long piece entitled What Trump Has Done to the Courts, Explained. Now, the thing about Milheiser, it's funny. When he's on Twitter, he's very bombastic and curses a lot, and he's really angry and upset, and he's always predicting that the sky is falling in ways that make me delighted. Um, but he's also, I think, pretty smart. And basically, the things he talks about with horror and shock about what Trump has been doing to the federal courts, I look at with delight and gladness. So let's dig into his article What Trump Has Done to the Courts Explained. No president in recent memory has done more to change the judiciary than Donald Trump. Here he goes. In less than three years as president, President Trump has done nearly as much to shape the courts as President Obama did in eight years. Trump hasn't simply given lots of lifetime appointments to lots of lawyers. He's filled the bench with some of the smartest and some of the most ideologically reliable men and women to be found in the conservative movement. Long after Trump leaves office, these judges will shape American law pushing it further and further to the right, even if the voters soundly reject Trumpism in 2020. Let's start with some raw numbers. Both Obama and Trump appointed two justices to the Supreme Court, but Trump's impact on the highest court far exceeds Obama's because Trump replaced the relatively moderate conservative Justice Anthony Kennedy with the hardline conservative Brett Kavanaugh. Not sure if I'd agree with that characterization of Kavanaugh exactly, but okay, I'll go with it. That was after appointing conservative Neil Gorsuch to fill Antonin Scalia's vacant seat. Obama's appointees, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, largely maintained the balance of power on a conservative court, Please, while Trump has shoved the court even further to the right. On the courts of appeal, the final word in the overwhelming majority of federal cases, more than one quarter of active judges are Trump appointees. All right, this merits me stepping in to sort of explain a few things to people. So our federal court system, as I talked about a bit yesterday on the show, there are three levels to it. You have the district courts, okay, which are, little, which are regional courts that have trial court judges, district court judges, okay, they hear trials whether it's that they they oversee trials and they hear the first level of cases. okay. so uh, we live in in Fresno. We are in the Eastern District of California, and there are a number of federal district court judges who hear all of the cases coming out of here. And these can be criminal cases prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office, and it can be civil cases with separate with uh, private litigants suing each other over federal claims or litigants from uh, different states who sue each other over something. Uh, that's one of the purposes of the federal courts is to sue, is to be the, the forum for hearing cases that involved um, litigants from multiple states, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they hear trials. That's the first level is the district courts. Then you appeal to one of the various federal courts of appeal, one of the federal circuit courts. Okay. The circuit courts have numbers to them. The First Circuit Court of Appeals hears all of the appeals from all of the federal district court cases out of New England, most of the states of New England. The Second Circuit hears appeals out of New York, Vermont, and I think one other state. The Third Circuit hears the appeals from a different region of the country, the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh. The largest circuit court in the country is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, which is what... We have it's it's where we live in California. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal hears all of the appellate cases that come out of Oregon, Washington, California, Alaska, Hawaii, Arizona, Nevada, Idaho, and Montana. All of the appeals from all of the trials, all of the all of the cases in that whole region of the country go to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Now, the Federal Circuit Courts of Appeal, the the Circuit Courts, they are one click below the United States Supreme Court, Okay, which is the final court of appeal in our federal system. So you have the Supreme Court, the Circuit Courts, and the District Courts. The Constitution provides that federal judges, federal judges who sit on any of those courts, from the Supreme Court, to the circuit courts, to the federal district courts. They all receive lifetime appointments. Okay, they are, appoint- they are nominated to their job by the president and they are confirmed to their job by a majority vote in the Senate. Okay, so that's how a federal judge gets his or her job. And when a federal judge gets his or her job, that judge is there for life. That is a lifetime appointment. As long as that judge wants to keep that job, he or she has it. Now, they can resign and go take another job. They can die in office. But that's the system. It's a lifetime appointment. A lifetime appointment. And this is part of the structure of how the framers wanted the Constitution to work. They wanted our judiciary to be be sort of insulated from the winds of shifting politics. They wanted them just to be interpreting the law and that's it. That's, that's their job. Their job is to interpret the law regardless of the whims of popular opinion. So they give them a job where their job security is not dependent on voters. It's not dependent on you know pleasing the populace with their rulings. Their job is simply straightforwardly dependent on interpreting the law as it's written. All right. So anyway, let's get back to Ian Milheiser's article about President Trump's impact on these federal courts. So uh, he talks about on the courts of appeal, that middle level, in between the district courts and the Supreme Court. On the courts of appeal, the final word in the overwhelming majority of federal cases, more than one quarter of active judges are Trump appointees. In less than three years, Trump has named a total of 48 judges to these courts compared to the 55 Obama appointed during his entire presidency. At this point in the Obama presidency, Obama had appointed only 24 Court of Appeals judges, meaning that Trump is appointing appellate judges twice as fast as Obama. At a similar point in their presidencies, President George W. Bush had filled only 30 seats on the federal appellate bench. President Clinton, 27. President George H.W. Bush, 31. And President Reagan, 23. On the district courts, the lowest level of federal courts, Trump's impact has been less significant. Obama appointed 268 federal trial judges in eight years, while Trump's only appointed 112 so far. But district judges deal far more often with routine matters like individual criminal sentences and trial schedules, and far less often with the kind of blockbuster cases that shape thousands of lives. As Justice Sonia Sotomayor said in a candid moment while she was still a lower court judge, the court of appeals is where policy is made. It's tempting to assume that Trump's judicial appointees share the goonish incompetence of the man who placed them on the bench. Milheiser letting his liberal flag fly here. But this assumption could not be more wrong. His picks include leading academics, Supreme Court litigators, and already prominent judges who now enjoy even more power within the judiciary. Before he became president, Trump promised to delegate the judicial selection process to the Federalist Society a powerful group of conservative lawyers that counts at least four Supreme Court justices among its members. We're going to have great judges, conservative, all picked by the Federalist Society, Trump told a radio show hosted by the right-wing site Breitbart while he was still a candidate. The Federalist Society spent decades preparing for this moment, and they've helped Trump identify many of the most talented conservative stalwarts in the entire legal profession to place on the bench. There's no completely objective way to measure legal ability, but a common metric used by legal employers to identify the most gifted lawyers is whether those lawyers secured a federal clerk, a federal clerkship, including the most prestigious clerkships at the Supreme Court. Approximately 40% of Trump's appellate nominees clerked for a Supreme Court justice and about 80% clerked on a federal court of appeals. That compares to less than a quarter of Obama's nominees who clerked on the Supreme Court and less than half with a federal appellate clerkship. In other words... Based solely on objective legal credentials, the average Trump appointee has a far more impressive resume than any past president's nominees. And they're young, too. Now, this is the big thing that Milheiser's pointing out here. Again, as I said, the Constitution is deliberately structured a certain way for judges. All right, it wants judges to be insulated from the political branches of, of power after they're confirmed. Okay, the president... Doesn't have, the president can't say boo to a judge, all right? If if a judge issues a ruling, that's it. The president can't do anything. Congress can't do anything about it. And voters can't like vote a federal judge out of office. Federal judges receive lifetime appointments. So if you appoint a young judge, they could serve on that, you know, they they can serve for a really long time. Okay, if you appoint a 40-year-old judge, being a judge is not that, you know, physically taxing, okay? You can serve as a federal judge till you're 80. As Ruth Bader Ginsburg is showing us, you can serve as a federal judge till you're 86. So Millheiser's is pointing out, and they're young too. The average age of circuit judges appointed by President Trump is less than 50 years old, the White House bragged in early November, a full 10 years younger than the average age of President Obama's circuit nominees. Trump's nominees will serve for years or even decades after being appointed. Even if Democrats crush the 2020 elections and win majorities in both houses of Congress, these judges will have broad authority to sabotage the new president's agenda. There is simply no recent precedent for one president having such a transformative effect on the courts. All right. Now, when we come back, we're going to keep reading uh, along with Ian Milheiser here from Fox. The hilarious thing about this is that I'm agreeing with every single thing he's saying. He's just pointing out these things that Trump has been doing with judges with shock and horror and disgust and fear. And I'm reading all these things and saying with delight and gladness and joy. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how this wave of Trump judges is going to change the legal landscape in the United States of America beyond simply... How it could change the landscape for abortion cases like Roe and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app.
0: This is The New John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, and AM 1400. We're reading me
1: and Ian Milheiser's piece, Ian Ilheiser, Ian Milheiser's piece from Vox about. The Trump impact on the federal courts. Uh, this is Ian Milheiser, For those who don't know, is an incredibly left-wing lawyer who writes for Vox, an incredibly left-wing sort of news and opinion. It's like National Review. It's it's like the the, the horrible uh, mirror image of National Review. If if National Review was just populated by a bunch of total lefties who thought they were centrist, um, Vox is a very hardline left online journal of opinion, and Ian Milheiser is sort of the their editor for Legal Matters. And he wrote this big, long column about how President Trump's judges are going to radically change the country, how he's appointed a humongous number of federal judges who all have lifetime appointments in the federal district courts, which is our lower court, our federal courts of appeal, which is our intermediate level bef- between the Supreme Court and our district courts in addition to two Supreme Court justices. So how are these judges going to change American law? Milhiser gets into this. And the thing I love about this article, as I said at the end of the last segment, I think his analysis is completely correct. Only what he is pointing out with shock and fear and despair, I am looking at with joy and gladness. How Trump's judges will change America. In an age of legislative dysfunction, whoever controls the courts controls the country. In the past decade or so, or more precisely since Republicans took over the House in 2011, Congress has been barely functional. You can count on one hand, and possibly on just a few fingers, the major legislation it has enacted. He is not wrong. Judges, by contrast, have become the most consequential policymakers in the nation. They have gutted America's campaign finance law and dismantled much of the Voting Rights Act. They have allowed states to deny health coverage to millions of Americans. They've held that religion can be wielded as a sword to cut away the rights of others. They've drastically watered down the federal ban on sexual harassment, and that barely scratches the surface. All right, I'm, I'm guessing that these are all very left-wing interpretations of what those decisions all did, but I'll pass on without comment. The judiciary is where policy is made in the United States, and that policy is likely to be made by Republican judges for the foreseeable future. There are likely now five votes on the Supreme Court, for example, to effectively give the judiciary a veto power over all federal regulations. Similarly, the court's decision in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby signals that religious conservatives may now ask the judiciary for an exemption from any law, and courts are likely to become quite generous in passing out such exemptions in the coming years. Yeah, we'd like to be exempt from laws that <laughs> that seem to uh, completely trample over our beliefs regarding, you know, paying for abortifacient contraception. Yeah, sorry. Deal with it. Republicans spent most of 2017 trying and failing to repeal Obamacare. But that failure means little to a federal appeals court that is expected to strike down the Affordable Care Act any day now. Jeez. And that's not all. In the coming months, the courts are poised to gut abortion rights, eviscerate gun control, and neuter landmark environmental laws. Oh man, I can't wait. Federal judges have already stripped workers of their ability to assert many of their rights against their employers, and this process is likely to accelerate in the near future. Many of our voting rights lay in tatters thanks to conservative judicial appointments, and this process is likely to accelerate as well. When Congress has been unable to function, this is this is a point that's
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: At least sort of, sort of interesting. I'm wading through a sea of very left-wing opinion here. When Congress has been unable to function, the executive branch has relied on existing federal laws that delegate some policymaking authority to federal agencies in order to deal with many of the nation's pressing needs. But with the Supreme Court poised to give judges a veto power over those agencies' actions, the courts could in effect strike down any regulation they dislike which is precisely what liberal judges have been doing to the Trump administration ad nauseum for three years. He doesn't point that out. In a Republican-controlled judiciary, this likely means that Republican administrations will retain broad discretionary authority, but Democratic administrations will be hobbled. Boy, he's completely blind. Anyway, I will say on the question of abortion, I want to get into this. Millheiser seems to sort of assume that the existing order of legalized abortion in our country is just a received, it's just a given, it's just received common normal wisdom and it should be broadly accepted. He overlooks the fact that abortion, the legalization of abortion in the United States was recklessly, wildly, and lawlessly imposed on the United States by a Supreme Court that was not engaged in interpretation of the Constitution, but in lawmaking. It was a, a Supreme Court in 1973 that basically used a bunch of hand-wavy arguments to reverse the, statu- the, the statutory regulation of abortion for all 50 states and replace it with a creation of the court's making, which is what legislatures do. It's not what a court is supposed to do. Basically, the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade said, well, we think the 14th Amendment says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. We think for due process to exist, you need privacy to be a right that is protected for all Americans. And we think privacy extends to medical decisions, including the decision to have an abortion. And we think that that is structured In such a way that in the first trimester, you can't regulate abortion at all. In the second trimester, you can do some regulation. In the third, you can ban abortion if you have a health exception. And we define health, and all of this is apparently hidden in the Constitution somewhere. We define health as being incredibly broad and meaning any kind of blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff, they were reading into the Constitution, into the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which was basically designed after the Civil War, to prevent southern states from having unfair judicial processes to unfairly discriminate against freed African slaves. But they read legalized abortion into that. I mean, it, which was so patently absurd. Nilheiser is talking about what he views as conservative judicial activism, but I think much of what our conservative judges would be doing is rolling back decades of liberal judicial activism, which has just become, which is so commonplace and so, you know, has so thoroughly saturated our legal culture that it looks like what our conservative judges are doing is this radical activism. Really, they're just pushing back against 40, 50 years of judicial activism on the part of the left. It's not activism. They're rolling back decades of activism. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the reasons why Trump has been able to fill the courts and why we conservatives, why we should all herald Mitch McConnell as, for this accomplishment alone, possibly, as perhaps the most effective Congressional majority leader that Republicans have had since Newt Gingrich. We'll dig into that right after the break. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeart
0: radio app. The New John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM
1: 1400. All right, we're reading the article by Ian Milheiser in Vox about how. Drastically, President Trump has reshaped the federal courts through his appointments of judge after judge after judge, all vetted by the Federalist Society. Tons and tons of judges who are really smart and really conservative and who are going to shape American law for decades to come. And how he's appointed in his three years in office, almost as many, if not more judges than Obama appointed in all eight. So how did he do that? So the thing I really enjoy about this article by Ian Millhiser is that he he's describing all of these things with absolute you know, shock and horror. All of these things that I view with amazement and delight. And I think his analysis, though, is really good, even though he himself is incredibly liberal. So let's dig into it. Two reasons why Trump has been able to stack the courts. Broadly speaking, there are two reasons why Trump has had such an outsized influence on the federal courts. The first reason is the effective blockade Senate majority leader Mitch McConnell imposed on appellate court confirmations the moment the Republicans took over the Senate. Which let's recall our history here. Uh Republicans took control of the Senate in 2014. Okay, they took the House in 2010 and then it took four more years they took the Senate in 2014 okay so president obama still had about two more years in office after that point mcconnell's effort to block supreme court nominee merrick garland is well known less well known are the many lower court nominees who received similar treatment under trump mcconnell mcconnell has turned the senate into a machine that churns out judicial confirmations and does little else he's ignored literally hundreds of bills passed by the house good for Mitch. Under Obama, by contrast, McConnell's Senate was the place where judicial nominations went to die. The numbers here speak for themselves. The final 2 years of the Obama presidency, when Republicans controlled the Senate, Obama successfully appointed only 2 federal appellate judges. So let's think of that. In 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 his in his first 2 years in office, Trump appointed Over 100 federal appellate court judges in Obama's last two years, Obama only appointed two federal appellate court judges. I mean, that is shocking. Obama's success in his again. Again, let me read that again. In the final two years of the Obama presidency, when Republicans controlled the Senate, Obama successfully appointed only two federal appellate judges. And one of those judges, Kara Fernandez Stoll, was confirmed to a highly specialized court that primarily deals with patent law. By contrast, 10 such judges were confirmed during the same period in the George W. Bush presidency, a period when Democrats controlled the Senate. The second reason for Trump's outsized impact on the judiciary is that when Democrats last controlled the Senate, one especially important Democrat, Judiciary Chair Patrick Leahy of Vermont, took an unusually expansive view of the rights of the minority party. An informal tradition known as the blue slip sometimes gives home state senators an exaggerated influence over who gets confirmed to federal judgeships within their states. The tradition gets its name from blue pieces of paper that home state senators use to indicate whether they approve of a particular nominee. Traditionally, the Senate Judiciary Committee showed some level of deference to senators who disapprove of their home state nominees, although the level of deference given to these senators varied wildly depending on who chaired the committee and whether that committee chair was politically aligned with the incumbent president. Leahy, who chaired the committee for most of the Obama presidency, gave home state senators a simply extraordinary power to block judicial nominees. Under Leahy, a single senator of either party could veto any nominee to a federal judgeship in their state. Although federal appeals courts typically oversee multiple states, each individual seat on those courts is traditionally assigned to a particular state. So basically what he's saying here, I realize this is getting kind of confusing. More or less... Obama Obama's process of getting judicial nominees appointed and confirmed was slowed down by these old Senate traditions giving home state senators, even if they were from the opposite party to the president, the ability to stop an appointment. Patrick Leahy, who was then the Judiciary chair, basically gave in to this old tradition. but, and, and that resulted in President Obama being much slower with appointing federal judges during his six years, even during his six years where he was the president and he had a Democrat-controlled Senate that he was working with. Trump, by contrast, working with Mitch McConnell, Chuck Grassley, and now Lindsey Graham, has not been operating that way. President Trump basically has looked at the blue slip tradition, which is basically, again, this it's this notion that, okay, I'm appointing a judge from this state. In the old days, there was this sort of informal tradition. It's not in the Constitution or anything. But there was this tradition that if a senator from that state didn't approve of the nominee, they wouldn't hand in their blue slip, and that nominee would effectively be stopped. Chuck Grassley who was the Senate Judiciary Chair, now Lindsey Graham, who is the current Senate Judiciary Chair, and Mitch McConnell basically said, we don't care about this tradition. Look, if we keep up with that tradition, Trump will never be able to appoint a judge in California because Feinstein and Harris will never, ever agree with a Trump nominee to the Ninth Circuit. So basically, they just got rid of this blue slip system, or basically eliminated it as a way for senators to block a president from nominating an appointee. So while President, basically what Millheiser is saying is that President Obama squandered the opportunities he had in his six years. Yes, President Obama had six years where he was working with a Democrat-controlled Senate to appoint nominees, and he didn't appoint nearly as many as he could have or he should have because they were holding on to these old, dumb traditions in the Senate that were not mandated by the Constitution. It was basically a wasted opportunity. But now, under the Trump administration, basically, Trump is not listening to that old rule. Now, the last thing that we got to talk about is the filibuster rule. And I think I'm going to save that for after this break, When i come back because we're going to talk about harry reid and what he did to the filibuster we're going to talk about the filibuster and its history for appointing judicial nominees now this sounds boring because filibustering is boring it's where you talk and talk and talk forever but it's a really interesting history how basically the hypocrisy of democrats finally wound up biting them in the rear and how president trump and Mitch McConnell have benefited by being able to appoint tons and tons of judges. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeart Radio app.
0: The Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400.
1: Our last segment of the week here on The John Girardi Show... And again, just want to remind you of a programming note. So I am going on vacation for about a week and a half. I'll be back on January eighth. In the meantime, the Joe Pags show will return to its sort of two hour format on Power Talk uh, from six to seven. So I'm not gone. I'm not I'm not leaving. I'm I'm still doing the show. We love the show here at Power Talk. The Power Talk brass like me. I like them. We're keeping on doing the show. We've got the contract extended. We're, we're rocking and rolling. I'm just taking a week and a half off. That's all it is. So I'll be back on January 8th. And yeah, that's that's all you need to know about that. All right. We've been talking about this article from Vox, which is this very left-wing out, outlet written by Ian Milheiser, a very smart, but very liberal lawyer who's talking about the outsized impact President Trump and Mitch McConnell have had on our federal courts, on federal judges, and how they will impact... Federal law. And he talks about why Trump has been able to do that. Here's one piece of the puzzle. It has to do with the filibuster in the Senate. Okay. For a federal judge to get his job, he has to be nominated by the president, and then a majority of the Senate has to vote to confirm that judge. Okay? That's a simple process. President nominates, Senate confirms. Now, the tradition forever was that the Senate may not filibuster. Judicial nominees. And what does filibustering mean? Okay, the Senate is thought to be this great, serious, somber, deliberative body. Much more serious and somber than the rough-and-tumble House of Representatives. And as such, theoretically speaking, debate over legislation, over any particular piece of legislation, may theoretically go on forever. Okay, there aren't limits on how long you can debate a piece of legislation or talk about a piece of legislation. The only limit is this thing called cloture. Okay, cloture, C-L-O-T-U-R-E, which is a rule that was developed within the Senate that basically says if 60 of the 100 senators vote to stop debate, invoke cloture, then you stop debating. But short of that, debate can go on forever. And the process of trying to kill legislation by talking it to death, by letting the party that supports the legislation know we are just going to keep talking until you give up, is called filibustering. All right. There are some famous examples of senators killing legislation by filibustering, talking on the floor of the Senate for 24 hours straight. I think Strom Thurmond did that once just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking for hours and hours until you get to the point where you're just reading out of a phone book. This is basically done as a way to kill legislation in the Senate. But you're not allowed to filibuster judicial nominees. That had continuously been the tradition until George W. Bush. Senator Tom Daschle, then the Senate minority and sometimes majority leader, allowed filibustering to take place for Bush's judicial nominees. Never had happened before. Republicans, like Quislings, decided to just accept this new stupid precedent, thinking, well, maybe when we're in the minority, we can use this to stop Democrat judicial nominees. Rather than saying, this is a stupid precedent, how dare you do this, you guys suck, and not realizing that the Democrats would, of course, change this policy once they got in power, once they had a president and they controlled the Senate, they would never let Republicans filibuster. Well, Let's get fast forward to twenty thirteen. And Harry Reid, then the Senate Majority Leader, officially changed this rule. He prevents the Republicans from filibustering judicial nominees. He changes the rules of the Senate so that you just need a straight up or down fifty vote, fifty-one vote majority in the Senate to confirm a federal judge. And Mitch McConnell said to Harry Reid on the floor of the Senate, You guys are going to regret this one day. Well, that day was in November of 2016 when President Trump was elected president. And essentially, even though the Republicans have never had 60 votes in the Senate during President Trump's presidency, we've had 51 or 52 or 53, Democrats have been unable to filibuster to stop Trump judicial Nominations, And as a result, President Trump has radically reshaped the federal courts in a way that will outlast his presidency for, yes, decades to come. He has made the ultra-liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals even somewhat moderate at this point. Honestly, it's the, you know, there are a lot of things about President Trump that, there are some things about President Trump that drive me crazy. I'll admit it. But his impact on the federal courts has been so unbelievably positive. You have to acknowledge it. You have to give credit to him and to Mitch McConnell for doing an unbelievably fantastic job reshaping our federal courts. All right, folks, I'm out for a week and a half. I'll see you back on January 8th. Joe Pags will be filling in in the meantime. You're listening to The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400, the iHeartRadio app